0: There are issues that we face in life, and we want to know as believers in Jesus and followers of Him, how do we look at these issues in light of Scripture? How do we begin to align our lives with Scripture? So that's really what we're trying to do. What does Scripture say about really um, things that are just cultural to America? All right, so we've done a few. We're going to now do ISIS today. So if you would, one last time, stand up with me and grab somebody's hand, and we're going to pray. Oh, I have to hold somebody's hand. I hate it. That's why I do it, too. It's because I love you. Science is finding human touch is like one of the most important things. You know a baby, if it is not touched, it will die. It's just that simple. God designed us. For touch. So you may not like it. I'm helping you. You will not get a cold this week because you held somebody's hand. <laughs> You're saying the opposite is true. I just touched somebody who sneezed in his hand. Except for you, then. Lord, I thank you for being among us and wanting to move us forward in life and for us to enjoy life, to get the most out of life. And I ask today as we tackle one more subject, I pray, Lord, primarily that we would be a people that see the incredible wisdom of the way that you have laid out life to be lived. And that we would have a hunger and a thirst to live that kind of rightness. So may you speak to us. May we be able to integrate into our lives what's being said in a way that's beautiful and glorious and big. We want to live big lives, Lord. So speak to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So there is a lot of confusion on ISIS. President Obama just over a year ago, a year and a half ago, I guess now, gave an interview, and it's kind of famous now. He gave it on the 4th of September, 2014, where he was asked, hey, what do you think about ISIS? And his response was, oh, ISIS is JV. Al-Qaeda's varsity, ISIS is JV. And then he made this analogy. He said, just because you put on a Lakers uniform does not make you Kobe Bryant, which broke my heart. I had to go home and burn my Joe Montana jersey. I'm like, no, I always thought one day I would be. And so he was asked, well, do you have a strategy for ISIS? And he said, no, I don't have any strategy for them. It's kind of haunted him now. That was just a year and a half ago, not even that, less than a year and a half ago. All right. So there's a little bit of confusion Two days before that interview, Phil Robertson, patriarch of Duck Dynasty, was on Fox News. He was asked the same question. What do you think of ISIS? His response was this, and I'm shortening it, but he said this, convert them or kill them. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's a strategy. All right. At least he has an answer. All right? We appreciate that. Now, that might kind of make you feel good and like, yeah, down with them, but in reality... How is that any different than what ISIS is doing even today to Christians? Convert or die. Aren't we supposed to be different? Aren't we supposed to be salt and light? So there's confusion. There's still a lot of confusion about, okay, what is this thing, ISIS? And I personally think that like the Nazis really defined World War II, The evil of the Nazis, just when you think about World War II and and the driving force behind it, you think of Nazis. I think when history looks back on us, this time period, it's going to be ISIS and how we dealt with them. That's going to be one of the defining moments of this time, of our generation. How are we going to deal with this evil? So the real question for us as believers is this, how do we as Christians live in a world where there's evil like ISIS? ISIS. What are we supposed to do, okay? So just in case you have been living in a happiness bubble, just watching like SpongeBob or something, and you have no idea what Isis is, you in fact think I'm talking about a Greek goddess. Like, what's wrong with Isis? She's kind of cool, okay? Just in case, let me give you a two-minute introduction to Isis. Isis is this. It's a group of Muslims that are trying to form a caliphate. And a caliphate to be Quranically right has to have two things. Number one, it has to be governed by Sharia law. And number two, it has to have a leader who tracks his lineage back to Muhammad the prophet. Those are the two requirements for a territory to be a caliphate. So ISIS is trying to do that. They were started 12 years ago, and they were actually started as a branch of al-Qaeda in Iraq. And they gained national attention, international attention, when on, in May of 2004, they posted a video on the internet. And the video was this. It was five men dressed in black with their face covered. In front of them in a orange jumpsuit was the American Nick Berg. And one of these men, al Zakari. The leader stepped forward with the sword and beheaded him. Perhaps you remember that. It shocked the world. I cannot believe what we just witnessed. In fact, it shocked Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda told al zakari bro, you're going too far. You can't do that. Is that crazy? Al-Qaeda, 9-11 dudes, World Trade Center bombers, bro, you're going too far. You got to stop this. He would not. And it seemed like for a a period of time there, once a month, once every couple months, there would be men in these outfits with a orange jumpsuited prisoner who was being beheaded. Okay? So that's the formation of ISIS. Ten years ago, it was Westerners and journalists that were being killed. Today, they kill anyone who does not agree with their ideology. In fact, they have now killed more Muslims than any other group. Muslims who do not agree with them. They are brutal. They are evil. They rape and they pillage and they take kids and they will sell a girl for a pack of cigarettes into untold horror. That's ISIS today. They are theologically driven. So you may not know this. They have a theology. They believe that if their caliphate is formed and it's chronically correct, then guess who returns to earth? Anybody know? Jesus. And when Jesus returns, he is going to kill, guess what group of people? Christians. We should all go, what? That's not what I read. (laughs) It's naughty. That is their theology, and it drives them, and it is in their scriptures. So they are fundamentalists, they have backing, they have it. They have caused the greatest refugee crisis since World War II. So if you are under 75 years of age, you have never lived through a refugee crisis like we have right now. Worse than Chairman Mao, worse than Pol Pot, worse than some of these terrifically horrific leaders that we've had in the last 75 years. It's worse than all of them because of the fear people have. How do I take care of my kids? I can't have my kids around this. I don't know who's going to show up tomorrow. Fear, and they're running from it. The worst crisis in 75 years. So we then have to say, okay, what do we do? And I believe the job of a Christian is different from that of a government. So I'm not trying to set government policy. Romans chapter 13 lays out what a government's supposed to be about. And the Bible says, the government bears a sword for a reason, to punish evildoers so that they'll be afraid. So I'm not trying to set the policy of America. I'm trying to say, as a pursuer of Jesus and one who wants to have his life conformed to that image and informed by scripture, how do I live in a world with evil like ISIS? That's what I want to know. That's the question we're trying to take. Okay, so if you would flip in your Bibles to Second Kings chapter six, verse eight. Second Kings is a quarter of the way in your Bible. Second Kings comes right after. First Kings, you guys are such theologians. <laughs> Beginning in verse eight. 2 Kings six, eight. Once, when the king of Syria, where's all this happening right now? Hmm. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, so now we have a war. In verse 23, we'll learn that they were actually making raids into Israel, capturing these towns. So they would show up, siege a town, kill all the men, rape plunder, murder, and sell the kids for slaves. That's what's happening right now in this text. There was no Geneva Convention. There was no war, tri- uh, war crimes tribunal. There was none of that. Brutal and horrific. He took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. And thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. The king of Syria decides, I want to kill the king of Israel. So I'm going to set up some ambushes so when the king makes his way down here, we'll kill him. Every time he would do that, Elisha would warn the king of Israel and the king of Israel would change his plans. And so the king of Syria kept getting confounded. Wouldn't it be nice to have an Elisha to do that for you? Be brilliant. So, verse 11, the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, is the NSA spying on me? How is this happening? Is your cell phone on mute? Will you not show me, which one of us is for the king of Israel? Is there a spy here? And one of them said, none, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel, the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send to seize him. And it was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. He's living in the city of Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So this guy who's helping Elisha, he's an intern or something, he wakes up in the morning, goes out in the morning to go grab the morning paper, opens the door, and there on the street in front of him is Isis. Banners, guns, yelling, screaming, mad max vehicles, and he's like, Ah, shuts the door, runs back in, finds Elisha in the back room, sipping some tea and reading the Torah. He's like, Bro, is what he says. Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more. Than those who are with them. Now you can imagine just for a moment this young man thinking, What's in your tea, bro? What is in there? Because I can count one, two, open the front door one, two, three, ten, twenty, forty, a hundred, a thousand, five thousand. What's up with your math? What is in your tea? And so then Elisha, verse 16. Praise, verse 17. O Yahweh, please open his eyes that he may see. So Yahweh opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And in the Hebrew, it says, he opened the front door and went, na, 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 na. <laughs> you have to remember this verse. It is a key. There is a spiritual battle that drives these things. I do not think it's a coincidence that Syria is mentioned here and Syria is a problem today. I do believe that there are powers that reign over territories. Read Daniel chapter 10. That there is a driving force behind this. And so often we are blinded to the real spiritual battle that's happening wherever we go. Every once in a while, I think you can catch a glimpse of it. I've been in places where I could feel an oppression that was like a weight stacked on top of me. That There was something there, freaky. But I think most of the time we are blind to the reality that there is a real spiritual battle happening. And secondly, we must never forget that what Elisha says to his servant is this, there's more with us than with them. This is repeated in the New Testament, 1 John 4, 4. God has overcome the world, and greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. We don't have to be afraid. Even when we sense that, even when we know that, why? Because greater is he that's within us than he that's with the world. That there's more with us than with them. There's all kinds of evil out there. Drug babies. Drug babies. The heroin epidemic, the pill-popping epidemic, pornography, trafficking of women. There's domestic violence. There's a lot of evil out there. And sometimes we just feel like, ah. Oh! never forget. He has overcome this world. Jesus Christ has stomped the serpent's head. We'll talk a bunch about this in Matthew chapter 2 because you see it. You see the attack of the enemy and you see what we're supposed to do as Joseph does it. But never forget, real battle, real battle but guess what? Greater is he that's with us than he that's in the world. So they see it. Verse 18, the Syrians don't. They come down. And Elisha prayed to Yahweh and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. Samaria is the capital city. It would be like taking ISIS and bringing them to the Pentagon or taking them to Fort Bragg where 236,000 soldiers are stationed, right? The center of the power. So he brings them there. Verse 20, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, oh, Yahweh, open the eyes of these men that they may see So Yahweh opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. What do you think they thought right then? Whoops. Shouldn't have followed this dude. (laughs) We kind of knew he had power. He was doing this funny thing with the king. Why did we follow him? Mistake. They would believe right here, we behead people, so we're going to be beheaded. In fact, verse 21, that's what the king wants to do. As soon as... As the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? This is it. This is my big chance. This will turn the tide of war. This is my Normandy. This is going to change everything. Can I kill all these people? Well, Elisha answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. What do you think the king thought at this moment? Don't smite them, feed them. Don't fight, throw a feast. What do you think he thought? Okay, Elisha, dude, you are above your pay grade right here. You stick to miracles and you stick to warning me about where the king of Syria is. You stick to your business. But bro, I have studied war. I've fought battles. I know how this thing works. Okay, this is what I need to do. And I have every legal right to do it. They've been coming into my territory, killing my people. They they were ready to do it again to Dothan. This is within my right. What are you talking about? You're out of your element. The difference is the king would be thinking with his eyes of flesh. Elisha is looking at life through the eyes of faith. And depending on how you look at life, it will determine how you live it. So Elisha instead says, feed them. And look what happens. So, verse 23 he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master, and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. A couple things to note here. Number one, Elisha told the king to feed them what? Bread and water, prison rations. Give him a chunk of bread, give him some water. He could have done that. All right, done the minimum. All right, I'll give him a crusty old piece of water, a crusty old piece of bread and some water. But instead, what does the king do? It's verse 23. He prepared a great feast. He enthusiastically supported this radical, crazy idea. Okay, if we're going to do this, let's do it. I'm not going to feed him bread and water. We're going to kill some big animals. And we're going to barbecue them. And we're going to bring out the best wine and the best food. And I'm going to lavish upon them a feast. And then when they went home, they told their master this. And guess what they had in Israel for a while? Peace. If he had beheaded all this army, what would have happened? Every brother and every cousin and every uncle would have said, what'd they do to my son? What'd they do to my dad? What'd they do to my uncle? Let's go. It would have erupted because if you fight fire with fire, what do you end up with? A bigger fire. Elisha right here quenches it and stops it. Come on, Matt. How would something like that possibly ever work with ISIS? It's ridiculous. Let me give you one quote just to mull on. I won't talk about it much because I don't have time. But it's from M. Scott Peck. Who here knows who M. Scott Peck is? Old school guy. He wrote a book called The Road Less Travel. So if you were in the 1980s and you're looking for a book, kind of self-help genre, it was The Road Less Traveled. I've read it. I enjoy it. So I'm not against it. I think, it was, I think he's a brilliant man. I think his better book is a book called The People of the Lie, it's unbelievable. It's a brilliant book. So M. Scott Peck, I like him. He wrote this and uh, it was a long time ago and I cut it, I bet you I cut this out 15 years ago. It's always fascinated me, his take on this. So quote, it is notable that 200 years ago, this new nation spent virtually no money and no energy attempting to control the behavior of the other nations of the world. Yet one by one, almost ten by ten, the peoples of these nations followed our spiritual and political example to seek the same freedoms for themselves. It is hard to escape the conclusion that in the years since, our political and our spiritual leadership has declined in inverse proportion to the increasing amount of money and effort we have expended to manipulate other countries. I wonder, he says, if we in the United States were to concentrate as our overwhelming major priority on making ourselves the best possible society we can be, whether the nations of the world might once again, without any pressure, except the influence of example, begin to emulate us again. Think about that. We've changed. And I don't see people knocking down the doors of Washington, D.C. anymore to say, what's your secret? And you look at 100 years ago, you read history about 100 years ago, there would be people from nations coming to our capital saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? We love what you're doing. I wonder, I wonder. Hmm. And I thought to myself as I prepared this message, if I'm listening to this at this point, I'm going to have this one question. And I think if I open it up to question and answer, people would ask this question. Matt, the difference is, Elisha prays and chariots show up. That doesn't happen for me. I face evil, bad things happen, and I pray and no chariots show up. People aren't stricken with blindness. In fact, I can wager money that this very day in Syria or in Iraq, there was a church where ISIS showed up and the people prayed and chariots didn't come. And bad things have happened this day in ISIS-controlled areas with Christians. So what about that, Matt? Evil happens, we pray, no chariots. What about that? This took place, verse 13 tells us, in a city called Dothan, Dothan, that city shows up another time. It's back in the book of Genesis, where there was a dad who had 12 boys. And of these 12 boys, there was one of these boys that was his favorite boy. Who knows who I'm talking about? Joseph. And this dad lavished favoritism on Joseph and gave him a coat of many colors and and didn't make him work and do chores and just absolutely showed, he's my favorite son. And the 10 older brothers hated Joseph for a bunch of reasons. So one day, Joseph goes looking for his brothers. And he goes out and he can't find them. So he asks somebody, where are my brothers? And they said, your brothers are at Dothan. You'll find them there. And he goes to the city of Dothan. And his 10 brothers grab a hold of him in their hatred. And they throw him in a pit. And they sell him into slavery. And I'll guarantee you, in that pit, Joseph prayed. And guess what? No chariot showed up. They show up for Elisha. They don't show up for Joseph. And so he is sold into slavery. And he goes down into Egypt. And he's falsely accused of rape. And he prays and no chariots show up. And he's falsely put in prison. And he prays and no chariots show up. 20 years, no chariots show up. Now, what if when Joseph is in that pit, He prays and the chariots show up. What happens? Number one, his family perishes because of the famine that's coming. And number two, he's a messed up dude. Because if you look at Joseph, Joseph had some real, real character problems. The favoritism of his dad was ruining Joseph. Joseph. He didn't talk to his dad with respect. He didn't realize the importance of using common sense when telling the right things to his brothers and not telling certain things. All these things, he was not a very good guy. It was the pit and the slavery and the fact that the chariots did not show up that made Joseph into the man that we say, I want to name my kid Joseph. He's a good dude. It was all that. If the chariots showed up, it's all different. In fact, Joseph, when he thinks back about these events this is his commentary this is what he says it's genesis 5020 and he says this to his brothers what you guys meant for evil god has turned to good to the saving of many lives it's what i call judo theology if you don't know what that is i'll explain it to you okay judo is an art Uh, I guess it's not an art. Judo is a martial art where the whole purpose is you learn to use the momentum of your enemy against himself, all right? So if somebody said, I, you know, am a supporter of ISIS, all of a sudden they rush the stage at me, I would know from my one hour introduction to judo in college that here's what I do. I step aside and I throw him into the drum set and then he's taken care of. That's judo. You use the momentum of your enemy against himself. That's what God does. God takes the momentum of evil and says, watch this. I am great enough and I am good enough to actually change this evil into something good. Come on, Matt. How's that work for ISIS? Thanks for asking. Watch this video and then have a couple comments and then we're done.
1: Born in the southern part of Iran, in a city called Abadan, born in a Muslim family, Shia Muslim family, my grandfather was a Muslim leader, uh, I joined uh, Hezbollah, uh, I, I was in that army for about three years, uh, I was studying Quran extensively then. I traveled to Malaysia where I was caught with 30 illegal passports, put in prison, and so I started teaching Islam in the in jail and uh, telling everybody uh, what they must do, what are their duties toward Allah. I would have the habit of uh, reading through the Quran cover to cover uh, once every 10 days. And so as I was doing that one night, I, I just uh, was meditating in the verses and there are, ver- uh, there, there are words in the Qur'an that are repeated continually, uh, repeatedly, but uh, they have no meanings, they are the secrets of Qur'an. And so when I was meditating on this, a spirit entered the room and uh, it was much more powerful than I could handle, or I could, I could overcome, and so I was filled with fear. And so I tried using all the tools Islam had given me, in the name of Allah, I command you to leave, you know, uh, Satan, I rebuke you, kind of things, and I used all those, and nothing uh, was, was helping. At that moment, I, I was totally desperate, and I felt like it is choking me, choking the life out of me and I felt like I'm dying in that cell and I just cried out to, uh, to the heavens and I said, God in Farsi Khoda, help me and immediately I heard a voice, just as clear as you hear my voice today, saying, "Bring the name of Jesus. Now that was not my conversion, that was the beginning of my confusion. Why would Jesus help a Muslim? I believe in Muhammad, the last prophet I would think In the perfect religion. Why would Jesus come to help me? I don't even know if God exists. And I have wasted all my life. Uh, I have been afraid all my life, you know. Trying to do everything that would please Allah. And now He confuses me. If Allah is all great and He sees the heart. He knew in my heart I love Him. And what matters if I call him, whatever name I call him, he knows in my heart I love him. And if it does matter to him, I ask him for two weeks, I sat, prayed, and nothing happens. So, you know what? I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go walk my own path. I'm going to do what pleases me. Obviously, at that very moment, I felt the power of God filled the room. And I cried because I literally didn't want to die but uh, I knew there is no chance. He was so holy and I was so wicked so I just ran to the corner of the room and I held my head in my arms and I just cried out, God forgive me, God forgive me, God forgive me, God forgive me and I just said forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And as I was crying and just saying forgive me, I felt a touch on my shoulder saying, I forgive you and the very instant those words were spoken I physically felt forgiven and I couldn't understand it so how is it that who is this God that says I forgive you and I feel forgiven today and I asked I said who are you they can forgive me and I feel forgiven today. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The moment I heard those words, I knew it's of a great importance, but I had absolutely no idea what that meant. I still had no clue who this God is. So I asked him, what is your name? Jesus Christ, the living God, he answered. And The moment he spoke those words, it was as if every single bone was taken out of my body and I just fell on my face to the ground and I started weeping in the presence of God. I just wept. I just wept because for many years I had tried to please God. But that wasn't nothing I thought was pleasing to God. Nothing I thought. It wasn't even the bright God that I had known. I felt so deceived because they told me, this is God and He wasn't God. They told me, killing the way of Allah. But then, it's God says love in the way of me Forgive in the way of me and it was everything my heart existed for so yes this is the truth of God God is about forgiveness God is about love so I wept for two hours and I just stood at his feet and he just said "I should look up And the moment i looked up i saw this it was like a tv screen of some sort i, I just saw people from all different generations and all different na- nationalities and backgrounds and every single person i saw i could see every single wrong thing they have done and that overwhelmed me i just cried said god i live among all these peoples all of them are sinners And he says, Afshin, how easy did I forgive you? And I said, very easy. In Farsi, we say, as easy as drinking water. And then just moments after that, I said, no, 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 even easier than drinking water. He says, as easy as I have forgiven you, I can forgive them. Who is going to tell them? I said, send them.
0: You can find
1: thousands
0: and thousands of these kind of testimonies. There is something happening in the Muslim world that's incredible. There's a guy his name is Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. He works for the Houston. he's a professor at. Houston Baptist University, okay? Baptist. I don't wanna, I'm not down on Baptist, but Baptists are conservative, right? They're not into exaggeration. They're not into like charis, hyper-charismatic stuff. He's Baptist, okay? He wrote a book, co-wrote it with a guy named Craig Evans, another doctor, and it's called Jesus and the Jihadis. And in that book, he shows statistics that demonstrate this. In the last 10 years, 2005... 2015. In the last 10 years, more Muslims have come to Jesus than in the previous 1,400 years since the very birth of Islam. Now, why is that? 9-11, Paris, San Bernardino. Here's what's happening. There's a lot of people that are culturally Muslim. They're born into a Culture that's Muslim, their city is Muslim, their parents are Muslim, and they're just culturally Muslim. And they're beginning to see these activities taking place in the name of Islam. And they're saying, those things are wrong. 9-11's wrong. Paris is wrong. San Bernardino is wrong. And they're now starting to look, and their eyes are being opened, sometimes in miraculous ways, sometimes in just very ordinary ways to the reality of Jesus Christ. It's happening like never before in the history of the world. It's unbelievable, all right? There's a guy, his name is Brother Rakid, R-A-C-H-I-D, you can Google him. He's Moroccan, he's Muslim. He is a huge voice in the Muslim world. He did this thing called a message to President Obama. It went viral. Google, it. it's really good, all right? He just converted to Christianity. Why? He said, because God is a God of love. It's amazing. This is what I call judo theology. You have the, the most evil thing ever in my generation. Evil. And what is it doing? It's showing people the truth is Jesus Christ. It's God taking what the enemy wants to use for evil and turning it for good. This is our faith. Do you know that? We serve a God who is great enough to take real evil and to use it for the very building of his kingdom. Genesis 50, 20, 1 John 4, 4. When you get those things, here's what happens. You become fearless. I'm not gonna be afraid. The psalmist puts it like this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no. Why? Because you are with me. Greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. The mountains are full of your power. What do I have to be afraid of? And then that text goes on to say, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Let's feast together because I'm not afraid. I pray that if a Syrian refugee came to Grant's Pass, that that Syrian refugee would be thrown a feast, that they would be the most loved, cared for person on the planet. That when he, she, them, when they called back family, they would say, You would not believe it. These people act like Jesus. They're not what we've been told. That would be my prayer. That's living out our faith. That's what we're supposed to be about. When we're faced with real evil, we don't fear, we throw it a feast. Well, come on, Matt, this is Old Testament, different dispensation. We're New Testament. Okay, fine. I'm going to conclude with three texts that I think define how we're supposed to live when facing real evil. Number one, Romans chapter 12. Okay, I told you Romans 13 is the government. Right before that, it gives our position. It separates them. If the government does this, they wield a sword and that's good. But you and me, what are we supposed to do? Well, I'll read it for you. 12 Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, will, will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by do- doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with. You don't fight evil, you throw it a feast. You do something very different. Okay, next one, Second Timothy 1 7. It says this that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and soundness of mind. We're not to be those that are afraid. Why? Because greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. Why would I be afraid? God has not given us a spirit of fear. We don't look at our world through the lens of fear. We look at our world through the lens of faith. And sometimes when we can't see it, we pray like Elisha, open my eyes. Because I want to live life by faith, not by fear. And then the last one, it's Revelation chapter 12. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb By the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives, even unto death. The last one is this. We find our cross. Jesus says, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, you will find it. If you take up your cross and follow me, that's life. I think as believers, we got to be risk takers. We see evil. We don't run from it. We say, God, how can you use me in this? How can I be part of your Judo theology? How can I see this evil reversed and changed? That's what we're supposed to do. All right? We don't fear. We throw it a feast. We do something very different. We act on faith, not fear. All right? And you don't have to go to Iraq to get to evil. Do you know that? There's great evil called ISIS, but there's also evil around us all the time. Maybe it's your in laws. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's somebody just, man, there's been this clash and it's becoming evil now. Drugs, trafficking, pornography, you name it. There's evil all all over the place. But we as believers don't look at it in fear like, oh no. We say, by faith, God, how can I partner with you in seeing this evil change to something good? That's what we get to do. My challenge is whatever evil you're facing, whatever it is, memorize those three verses and say, God, how do I do this in faith? This coworker that's hurt me, this in-law that's hurt me, whatever it is, it's evil. There's an evil between us. How do I change this? I don't want to be overcome of evil. I want to overcome evil with good. How do I do that? Maybe you have a spirit of fear. That's what the enemy wants for us. He wants you and me to be driven in our lives, not by faith, not by the eyes of faith, but he wants to be us to be driven by and make decisions through the lens of fear, because he wins. Instead, we've got to back up and say, God, forgive me for fearing. You're with me. Let me by faith realize greater are you that's within me than he that's in this world. Let me realize that this evil, it might be great, but it's not greater than you. That no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That's the life I want to live. You start acting on those promises. I challenge you to do that. This is the way evil is beat back. Read the story of Joseph. He kept responding well to evil that came into his life. He kept responding well. He didn't fear it. He didn't run away from it. He knew, God, you have me here for a purpose, that what the enemy wants to use for evil, you can turn for good. Judo theology. So Father, help us, empower us, we want to live lives that are brilliant and bright, not fearful and not worryful and not anxious, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, for any that came in here this day with a spirit of fear. I pray that the power of your spirit would right now exchange that fear for love and power and soundness of mind, that we could have the mind of Christ, that we could live and walk in a way that is in the footprints you've left for us. Empower us, Father God. I pray for those who, Lord, want to get revenge, who are stirred up and bitter, who are angry, vengeful, Lord God. I pray that they could give that to you and not be overcome by those things because they will, but instead overcome evil with good. I pray for each of us to have a cross a a place of risk, a place of dying to self. We need mission. We need purpose. We need goals in this world, Lord God. And I pray when evil presents itself, that we would look at it as an opportunity to see you take what our enemy would want to use for destruction and stealing and killing, and that you would be able to take that momentum and use it for good, Lord through our lives that are lived sacrificially for us. So empower us, I pray. I pray for, Lord, the church that continues in Syria, in Iran, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Saudi Arabia, in Pakistan, Lord. I pray that the church this day would be equipped to do these things, to live in a way that is brilliant, that continues this massive harvest, that Lord, we would just be at the tip of the iceberg these last 10 years, that we could see greater things done, Lord. I pray that maybe even in this group today, that there might be those that hear the call, even as Afshin did. There are people that need to hear this message. Who's going to go? That you would, from this congregation, send out workers into that field that's ready for the harvest, Lord God. And we would see billions of Muslims, come to love Jesus, their Savior. That's what we ask. We ask this in faith, knowing greater are you that's within us than you, than he that's in the world. We ask it in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.